The content, information, and opinions expressed during the related show are those of the show personalities and guest alone, and not those of Vic Canellis Media Group, its parent, affiliates, or stations. VCMG Live is not responsible for any content, information, or opinions expressed. User bears full responsibility for their reliance on such content, information, or opinions. Here we go. It's Monday night, and boy, are we excited. Once again, it's time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and Ira's in studio two weeks in a row. We may not see you next week live. We'll talk more about that later because you might have a really fun weekend uh, planned. Been a little quiet, though, so far. That's why you've been here two weeks in a row. Normally, Penn State games, Steelers games, only one NFL game uh, so far this year. But you saw some football. It was just European football, however, here in America. <laughs> That's right. Well, for, before we start, I'd like to wish all our Jewish listeners a Shana Tova. We just finished our holiday, so I'm, I actually fasted the whole day, so I haven't even eaten. This is on 25 <laughs> hour, 24 or 25 hours of not eating. But, uh, yes, Wednesday... I've seen goats. I've seen Jordan, LeBron. We're gonna. We can argue these names. Brady, Mahomes to be a goat. Tiger, Mary Lemieux. Um, do you want to say Otani is a the goat or he how? Will be. Or and then you have about pitchers. Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens. I saw a pitch. Mike Trout. I've seen. And I, I have a horses. American Pharaoh and Justified Triple Crown winner. So. I had to see Messi. I mean, it's a goat. Yep. I mean, everyone says that he's whatever. So it's pretty cool to go DRV Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale on Wednesday against Toronto. Yeah. Um, it's something you've been wanting to do since Messi came to South Florida. You're like, all right, I got to get to a game. And you've had a couple elude you, so I'm glad you got to do that. <clears throat> we'll talk more about that in just a moment. At Ira on Sports, anywhere across uh, social media, you can find him. And we're going to talk football, obviously, but, you know, the first two weeks, a little sloppy. It seems like now some teams are really finding their groove, and it's also causing separation between them and the teams that haven't found their groove and may not ever find it. Yeah, my comment about this weekend at the NFL, and boy, did I enjoy watching those games on Sunday, but the comment is that it's like we had a wedding. Everybody's come to the wedding dressed up nice, and they show up, and then you see at the wedding, a couple people like they wore like maybe, I would say the Cowboys came in wearing jeans and sneakers, like well, they probably look so bad, and then you had a team like Jacksonville that wore like shorts and a t-shirt, and like <laughs> normally people would look at them like, what are you wearing a shorts? You just lost, you know, by 10 at home to Houston, and then you have Chicago Bears. They're just wearing a bathing suit. That's all they have. I mean, that performance was absolutely horrendous against Kansas City. One of they took him off. And then you're like, oh, everybody's going to be looking at them. And they go, but no one's watching them because they're only watching the Denver Broncos because they're wearing a Speedo. Because with that performance, and i got to give tons of credit to the Dolphins, but what in the world was Denver doing out there? With a team that had one of the top defenses in the last three or four years, they literally would not tackle. I don't think I've ever seen that ever in the history of the NFL in terms of my watching games. A team that just would not play defense in a game, an absolutely pathetic performance considering that Sean Payton said last year was the worst coaching job he's ever seen. Now, if that was the worst, I don't know what definition he would have for his <laughs> own coaching better. job. Yes. <laughs> and this is not one of the rare nights where we'll be able to update you live on football as we go. Philadelphia and Tampa Bay kicking off in about eight minutes or so. We'll keep you posted on that one here on Iron Sports. So let's talk about Messi first. This has been, I don't want to say bucket list because you have some big, high bucket list, lofty stuff, but 
ever since Messi came to South Florida, you said, I got to get to see him. And you did. And tell us about the experience. Well, the stadium was hard to figure out where to sit. Like, I, like, I just don't know where to sit for soccer. And we said, well, sit around the 50-yard line or whatever, midfield. So I did sit, like, on the 40. But I learned that when you're sitting on the 40 at this DRV Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, which is right outside, it's like north of Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. And it's I was in south of Fort Lauderdale. It took, like, an hour to go from south Fort Lauderdale to north Fort Lauderdale. But it's easy to get to. It's on the, it's like the business airport park. So it's not really the airport, but it's near the airport. And just park on the, the park anywhere. It's really close to go there. It only seats like 20-some thousand. And you're able to walk there, almost like walking to a high school football game. And it, I love the colors. It's pink and black. So you get to the stadium, and it's like, I hate the heat. You know, the heat have like every single color in the spectrum. So everybody there was wearing pink, messy, or black uh, uniforms. So I really thought that was cool. But I did have one of the worst seats I've ever had because I thought I was going to be on where a point where like you walk up six rows and then you could overlook the where the portal where people enter at the Heat Arena. It's perfect. At this, it wasn't. There was a walkway, so people would walk up the stairs and stand right in front of me and say, <laughs> "Oh, I'm here. There's Messi. I'll take a picture." So, and I also was part of that gives you tickets to the Northwood Northwest Club, which is a bad name for a club. A Northwest Club, which is really a nice place. But in order to go to the club, you had to actually leave this the. the uh, seats, the area where the seats were, go outside and then go back to the club. It's not really a stadium. It's, like I said, it's really a high school stadium. There's no indoor seating and stuff like that. And then so that club wasn't worth it. And you should have been the midfield club, which would better. And then under the suites where you see all the celebrities, they're below. They're on the level. So, But you don't even see the celebrities. They're their own entrance, everything away, right there at that way. So it was still really cool to be there. I got there early. And of course, I could not believe when the game, I'm watching Messi warm up, I'm taking pictures, everything. There's no one in the stands. I'm like, is anyone going to show up to this game? And there's the most late, I mean, I'm going to Dodger games a bit later. I think this was unbelievable. It's like Messi's out there warming up and no one's there. But boy, 10 minutes in the game, they're all there. It was really weird. There was no crowd noise. Like when the game started, I thought the crowd was dead. They don't pipe in any music. Behind the one goal, there are these fans that they should be like, they were banging the drums, blowing the trumpets, and waving the flags the entire game. Like, they'd be exhausted. I couldn't believe they did that. It's like everyone else says, they'll cheer for us. We don't have to cheer. Because the fans were so quiet. So I was really surprised. Messi, watching him play, was pretty exciting uh, because he's so small. Like, I'm used to going to these events and looking at Giannis and saying, wow, Giannis looks so big and powerful. And LeBron, big and powerful. And Messi is the smallest player on the pitch. And he just looks so small. But his speed, people, and his first step when he's out there, it's like he t- the, I could not get a picture, a good, great picture. Because the moment it touched his foot, he just would either be moving and no, his first, they couldn't get around him. His first step is a move, and he's super strong. He's like, reminds me of Drew Brees. Drew Brees was small but very strong. So his legs are strong. So it's really hard to get the ball when he has the ball. And you could see how he just, he's watching the game differently than anyone else. Like, he's looking at that. I mean, this is, this is definitely Tom Brady at the end where he's seeing where everything goes. He, and he's so dangerous with the ball. He had a midfield with his back to the goal, his own goal. He had the ball. He literally just picked the ball up on his foot and wailed it the entire way. His own player was cutting the goal and hit him in the head. He didn't even think that. <laughs> it's like, when you're on it, you'd be ready. And he doesn't play any defense. I understand he doesn't play defense. But wherever he's standing, they have to put three players. So Toronto, who the team they were playing with, shorthanded the entire game because wherever Messi is, they're, sur- they're surrounding with three players. So Messi would just stand at midfield and then Toronto would be attacking, which they never did the whole game. Toronto was as bad as Denver was, it seemed like, um, the whole time. <laughs> so that was what. 
It's no, he. You know, I, I made the comparison about Connor McDavid and how you don't even have to know who Connor McDavid is, the NHL um, All Star. You just watch the game and you see somebody's faster than everybody else on the ice. That's what Leo Messi is. And they both happen to be smaller guys. They stand out because they're like a jackrabbit weaving through everyone. It's incredible. Unfortunately, he did take a minor injury. I think he's going to miss a game or two as they get ready for a cup battle. He missed the Sunday game. There's a question, is he going to play Wednesday? Would I go to Wednesday? It's called the Lamar Hunt Trophy. This is one thing I don't like about soccer, and I think they do have to. This is a problem. You would not expect uh, 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 Patrick Mahomes not to play on Sunday because he's playing in the U.S. national football team. Mm -hmm. And I think when he plays, so he had to leave for two and a half weeks to go to Argentina to play. That tired him out. He's playing matches there. I just think it doesn't work. You can't have a season with your players just leaving in the middle of the season. I think it's crazy, and I think he's tired out. So he left it after 35 minutes in the game. And it's funny, he stopped playing like, I'm too tired. The other team's supposed to be playing, everybody stopped. It's like messy. It's like in Tour de France when they bicycle and they want to go to the restroom. They just stop, and everybody stops if you're leading the race. It's like Messi said, I'm stopping, and everyone's like, okay, that's good. You're <laughs> stopping. We'll, we'll substitute someone in. Like, they didn't even wait for a dead ball. It just... Stop playing. It's one of the interesting things that you mentioned about guys leaving. It's one of the problems that bigger clubs have in England and Spain is that if you have too many good guys, when they need to leave for two and a half weeks, your entire roster is backups. And other teams are, be you know, you're getting beat by the 18th seed as the best seed because none of your players are there. Soccer is interesting like that. There's a lot of weird nuances to professional soccer that we don't see in any other sport. They might not, they probably are not going to make the playoffs, but that's why this Wednesday Cup game, which they play, because in the middle of the season they play these tournaments. The thing I'm a little concerned about the NBA with is in season tournaments because this actually has more value than making the playoffs so the question is Messi going to play or not play on Wednesday and that was the ticket pricing you could see the tickets on last Wednesday when I went it's like was he going to play not play and you're talking a difference of a hundred percent where the tickets <laughs> are going to be it's like amazing where they're fluctuating so I decided in the middle of the day I'm like I think he's probably going to play so I bought the tickets the moment he announced the ticket that I bought doubled in price so crazy. This is Ira on Sports. Drew Oldie's channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. You can follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. College football. Let's start with that. This was a great weekend of college football. You pretty much were in front of the in front of the TV for twelve hours. Four, I had four screens from twelve <laughs> o'clock till two in the morning, and then I watched that by one. Then I had Formula One that came on at one o'clock. So it's like from twelve to three a.m. That's that's what, fifteen hours yeah. or whatever. It was straight, and it was great to have my four four. I had four, and then sometimes I needed a fifth one. But it was pretty cool to have it all laid out. I love. I love college football. I love the fact that every game matters. I love the fact that you can watch these teams and if things don't work out, if the season's over, I don't like the 12-team playoff because it really was this essence that you're watching this game where it's like, boy, this loss will take me off of the playoff picture, like Clemson and Florida State. That type of game where Clemson now with two losses is not going to make the college football playoff. So I love that aspect of the game. And, boy, every stadium was filled with 100,000 people, it seemed like. Super exciting. Storylines left and right. And I, I just love college football. One of the reasons that I, I love this year already is because there's a lot of parity here. We're seeing a lot of teams that you could make a case for, could, could make the Final Four. Obviously, it's too too early to determine that, but especially with you know some of these Pac-12 teams that just look fantastic, it's tough to pick, and it's not like you're just assuming you're going to see Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, and someone else in it. You really don't know who it's going to be right now. There's parity, but it's a weird type of parity, meaning parity meaning really good teams. So the parity means that you're not going to see TCU next year. You're not going to see a team sneak in there because I think Georgia is not going to lose. Georgia is going to be in there. Texas plays Oklahoma in two weeks. Texas is runs going to run the Big 12. They're going to be in the college football playoff. That's two teams. Then you're going to either between Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, one of them is going to be the three teams, and then the fourth team is what we have. Florida State, but then you have the Pac-12 teams, which are phenomenal, and I think right now, the, on an eye test of looking at a team, 
the University Washington University and Michael Penix Jr. is the best team in the country. I Penix could start on most NFL teams right now. He is unbelievable. Stay up till one in the morning and watch him throw a football. But wow, is he amazing? He played at Indiana, tore his knee up, and he's been back in now Washington. And, we're, and that's another theme we're going to talk about. So many of these schools now have these transfers that, and these quarterbacks are 22, 23 years old. They're older than these NFL quarterbacks. They're older than Zach Wilson from mm -hmm. the Jets, and they are they are mature. They've gone from other schools, and it's like I'll give example Oklahoma played Cincinnati Emory Jones out of Florida well he played in 2019 he's playing for Cincinnati and uh, Dylan uh, 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 Gabriel Dylan Gabriel is is playing for Oklahoma and he played for Central Florida so it was like crazy how you have teams back you know these quarterbacks were you know fifth six-year seniors and they're still playing in these games Bo Nix played against Justin Herbert Justin Herbert's been in the league four years <laughs> it's kind of funny how that goes interesting you brought up Michael Penix though if you check a gambling site today him and Caleb Williams are tied for Heisman vote, if you like, as far as betting odds go. So he's doing something impressive this season, as you said. All the people staying up late and watching him, because I thought <laughs> I'm the only one watching him. But it's amazing. When you watch Zach Wilson and you watch the NFL, you have Saturday to Sunday, and you're watching some of these great college quarterbacks and how they're throwing the Caleb Williams and the Michael Penix Juniors and even the Bo Nixes, and they're, th and they're, throwing, and they're so, throwing so well. And it's like, what a throw. And it's not just these defenses are bad. They're putting these balls, and you're like, bring them up now. Like, I'm telling you, next year you could have seven or eight of these uh, quarterbacks because there are so many uh, forget about May you know with May also North Carolina but there are so many players that people I don't think thought the class was going to be this deep and it is super deep no yeah we're looking at it now like this could go down as one of the best classes of all time um, let's talk about the games itself kind of easy you know the best teams kind of had a little bit of an easier week and the schedule got better as we went down yeah it was funny that the top three teams Georgia played UAB they were favored by 40 they only won by uh, 38 points um, they're the uh, uh, SEC they were 28 points really um, Georgia easy game against UAB Michigan played Rutgers what's interesting about that game was that Harbaugh Jim Harbaugh finally came back after being suspended and they were a little rusty at the beginning Michigan seems to do that they start out slow if you had to make some bets I would say in the first quarter bet against Michigan but then they wear the team down they easily won 31-7 and Texas and Baylor I mean Texas blew out Baylor 38-6 now they were a 20 point favorite going the game but you know, when this season started people thought Baylor could be much better Texas looks like Quinn Ewers there's another quarterback who could be a first round draft pick he looked fantastic in that game 300 yards and a touchdown Jonathan Brooks their great running back and really in two weeks they play Oklahoma that's the big game and as I said before Oklahoma beat Cincinnati what's been Oklahoma's problems Brett Venables what came there last year and their defense was terrible and when Lincoln Riley was the coach of Oklahoma they defense was terrible suddenly Oklahoma has this great defense so now with the put the offense and then the defense together dealing with I said Dylan Gabriel from UCF he had 300 yards passing and that's going to be that Texas Oklahoma game in two weeks in the Cotton Bowl the old Cotton Bowl uh, should be a really exciting game so those were in terms of those teams I thought were pretty easy games uh, of those top four teams Ohio State and Notre Dame this ended up probably being the game of the weekend and this was one where Personally, I thought Ohio State was going was to run them out of the building, but Notre Dame hung tough in this one. Well, they both teams, I mean, it is one of the craziest things I've ever seen in terms of the beginning of the game. Um, Notre Dame went on fourth down. that was stopped. Ohio State goes on fourth down to one. They're stopped. Ohio State did a field goal. And then at the end of the first half, it's 3-0 Ohio State. And you're like, wow. I mean, th this excitement of the games, they've only played six times in their time. I mean, two of these the premier programs only played six times. Second half, Notre Dame drove the whole way down there. They're 
they're stopped on fourth down. Ohio State had a 61-yard touchdown run. Uh, but on that play, Marvin Harrison, I text you, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is hurt. <laughs> and but then he came back in the game. And then they drove. And then it was, it was like 10 nothing. But Notre Dame responded with a drive. They made it 10-7 with 335 left. And then they had another drive. Sam Hartman, the sixth-year quarterback or from Wake Forest, he started playing great. They had this great drive. Now they're up 14-10 with eight minutes left in the go in the game. And then Ohio State drove to the Notre Dame 11 on a third and one. And this is where the coaching on both sides became a mess. So, Ryan Day, you're third and one. Your offensive line is so dominating. Just run the ball. You big backs, they do this one crazy incompletion, and then the other was like a jet sweep that lost yards, and they got stopped. I'm like, it's four, you're, you have a chance. So there's 4-12 left in the game. At that point in the second half, uh, Notre Dame had run 30, 34 plays. Ohio State only run 15. So Ohio State, I mean, Notre Dame was dominating that second half, but there was a chance, you know, Ohio State had just scored their touchdown. Then Notre Dame has the ball. They, they totally messed this up. They was 228 left. Ohio State only had a timeout left. And suddenly they had Sam Hartman like throw the ball away. Just get rid of the ball. Like run the clock. Do something. And then he had another stupid pass that was almost intercepted. They had a false start. And then it should have been then Notre Dame finally gets the ball with a minute 26 with uh, you know in the game on their uh, on their 27 yard line. But the fact is all the plays that uh, Notre Dame ran in terms of Ohio State gets the ball, they totally screwed it up. There should, they should have never been punting the ball. If Ohio State, Ohio State got the ball, they should have had the ball with, I would say, like 10 seconds or 15 seconds. They get the ball with a minute 25 left. They ran 15 plays. 15 plays in a minute 25. That just shows you how pathetic Notre Dame was in terms of they <laughs> had this game won. So Notre Dame goes down. They complete on a fourth and seven. They do that. There's 15 seconds left. They get an entire Intentional grounding fall. Intentional grounding. So now it's now. There's a few seconds left. They go back. McCord throws to Abuga for 21 yards down to the one-yard line. Notre Dame calls timeout. So now there's a timeout, first and goal in the time. So what? Notre Dame comes back out there. They're like, you know what? We don't need to beat Ohio State in a game like this. We're going to play with 10 players. So they play with 10 players on the play. Ohio State doesn't recognize it. They throw an incomplete pass. Then Ohio State comes back, and then they go and they run a play. And Notre Dame said, we realize we only had 10 players on the field, but there was a dead ball. They could have ran someone, and they, they were too slow to realize that. Then Ohio State finally said there was like one second to go. They decide to go, and they threw they they ran it in you know on the one-yard line, barely got in. But for the last two plays of the game, Notre Dame only had 10 players on the field. I, I just couldn't believe how both sides, Ryan Day was stupid, uh, Freeman for Notre Dame was stupid, both I, the coaching was terrible. And then Ryan Day's interviewed after the game and he said, Lou Holtz doesn't respect us. And he's flashing Lou Holtz, who's like 100 years old and hasn't coached there in 30 years because he was on game day and said something about Ohio State's toughness. And Ryan Day's obsessed with it. It was just so weird at the end. Huge win for Ohio State. But Notre Dame had this game. They had the game on defense to stop Ohio State. And they could have just run the right plays and on offense and never given the ball back to Ohio State and won the game. I felt I felt terrible for Notre Dame. And it was a bad loss for them. and a, whatever For Ohio State, they need to be Michigan and Penn State. But that was just such a weird ending. I can't imagine a game of this magnitude. In high school football, you don't even see, oh, we only had 10 players. Not for one play, but for two plays. Yeah, it's like a peewee football coaching level but from two of the most respected coaches in, in the game. Kind of crazy how that went down. Speaking of respected coaches, I don't know if Deion Sanders is respected, but man, is he talked about. Um, it, it was baffling to me, Ira, going into this game with Oregon. How many people that I, I know and respect their opinions saying, I don't know. I think Colorado can do it. Oregon better watch out. Here comes Dion. Absolutely wasn't the case. And they were embarrassed in this game. I mean, they, they talked a lot and did not show up to play on Saturday. 
Well, I think Dion said, well, he goes, he's like, he goes, the team Oregon was really fired up. They were, they thought they were playing me. Well, they weren't thinking they were playing you. You made it that they were playing. It was, you're the one who created by talking so much. And I understand the talk and I understand you want to build your program up. But the fact is that you do create this type of bullseye on your back when you are talking like this and saying all like, we're here, we're here. Do you believe? Do you not believe? And then Colorado, now Colorado plays, Dan Lamming, their coach was so smart. During the week, doesn't say one thing at all. They had to go pull up quotes that he said before Darian got hired to say, oh, he said that we left the Big 12, but he didn't say anything about Dion, only complimentary stuff. But in the locker room before the game, he's like, this is the Cinderella story ends right now. This game's going to be played on the field, not in Hollywood. We're going for wins. They're going for clicks. And like True. motivating his team. But again, his team is like, wait, we're Oregon. We're seventh in the country. We're great players. We're a great team. And all the media wants to do is talk about Dion, Prime, Colorado, Shador Sanders, all this other stuff. They get mad. Every commercial is them. Of course it's going to rile them up. So Dion has to realize that. Now, you know, the point is that people are like, oh my gosh, well, about this. The thing is that he is, by all the talk he's talking, he is creating this narrative where, yes, now it's hard. You can't sneak up. If it was Colorado and they were a 23-point underdog and nobody knew who their coach was, then maybe Oregon would overlook them. Like uh, Arizona State snuck up on USC late at night, one of those late night games. USC looked terrible the game because they were looking forward to Colorado, a team that they're a 24-point favorite on. But again, it's like if you don't, when you talk the talk and you talk all these things and you put all the media and all the publicity, yes, it, it's woke, it wakes the ducks up. The ducks were awake. They're ready to go. It's excitement for the game and they're ready to play. So it's hard to sneak up. You are not, when you're banging that drum, you can't sneak up on anybody. So it does put pressure. And as I said before, Dion, when he played, this is how he played. He was like this. Thing. He talked all the time, but he had Troy Aikman. He had Emmett Smith. He had Michael Irvin, who was the Cowboys. He, with the 49ers, had uh, Steve Young and Jerry Rice. He had players that could back it up. Now, you know, his team is not that good, those type of guys, so it's harder. But it's like, I just I just love the Dion story, to me, is just amazing. It's like when George Foreman, the boxer, was this great boxer, and then he got Ali, he lost Ali, and then disappeared. It almost seemed for 10, 50 years, and then came back to win the championship and then George Foreman grill and all this other stuff. Dion was this was the greatest. I mean, one of the top 10 in my eyes, greatest football players of all time. Florida State, he was phenomenal. Go six in the draft. He goes to Atlanta, was a superstar there. And it wasn't just that he was the best defensive back. He could shut down every wide receiver, but is returning the punts, returning the kickoffs for touchdowns, setting all the records. Just amazing. But he for for a d- decade it seemed like he ruled it and it wasn't like the even the glorious plays that he made returning the kicks and the interceptions, but it's like no one threw to him. If he's if Dion's over yeah. there, you'd be crazy. Like some, I remember a quarterback said, "Oh, I'm going to go right at Dion," and Dion like intercepted like the first ball he threw to him. It never threw. That's mm-hmm. what he did. He literally would take a wide receiver of the game or take an entire side of the field of the game. He was that, and he went to San Francisco and they won the Super Bowl. And then he goes, "I'm leaving, going to Dallas." And then he won the Super Bowl with Dallas. Like Dallas says, he's the missing piece. So, and at the same time, he's doing all this. He's playing baseball for the Yankees, <laughs> for the Braves. He's playing in the World Series. Bo Jackson, like in terms of hitting this, and he wasn't just. Some you know, one year he like led the league in triples. He hit 335 another year. I mean, it was like I have these stats. It was unbelievable. 1992, he hit 304, stole 26 bases, led the league with 14 triples, and he had one year he had 56 stolen bases. So he's he's playing baseball, he's playing football, he's doing all these things. But then he just like disappeared when he retired for like 10 years. Yeah, you he's, didn't hear much from him for being a very loud guy throughout his career. He was on NFL Network. He then hosted Miss USA. He was on a reality show. Uh, show. I saw this thing where he was on the. Celebrity Family Feud in 2008. He was against, how about this, the Sanders, but not Shador. His older brother, son, Dion Jr., was there. But against Bruce Jenner, Kris Jenner, Kim and Courtney, and Khloe Kardashian. What a show. Is that amazing? And that was before they were famous. Yeah. That was before 
they had Keeping Up with the Kardashians. So that was like Dion and Bruce and Jenner. I mean, again, it was a weird, and he just was coaching high school football, coaching his son's team. And then for someone to be disappearing that long and then go to Jackson State for a couple years and then just emerge now on the scene. And it's like, boy, Dion Sanders, but someone like me remembers when Dion, this was Dion, but he just disappeared for 10 years. I mean, can I compare it to John Travolta when Travolta was big with Greece and he was big with Welcome Back Hotter? He was very, and then, then like for nothing, no one heard John Travolta. Then he comes back and he's the biggest movie star, Pulp Fiction, all of a sudden. It seemed like Dion had this gap where no one saw him for mm -hmm. 10 years, but he's still Dion and he's the same person he was when he was this great NFL football player and Major League Baseball player. So there's that aspect. But the fact is that if you're going to talk and what he does, which it, it, it's going to put pressure on him throughout the whole time. And when you're a 23-point underdog, the team that's a 23-point favorite is viewing themselves as the underdog, just like USC is viewing this week. So you, you're putting pressure on this team to turn this all around. What is the team? The, the story is, I think it was the team that picked ninth. It might have been the New York Giants that requested a, an interview with him before his draft. And he said, no, I'm not going to be there the ninth pick. I'm not going to waste my time talking to you guys. He's just larger than life, you know, his character. But you're right. Then there was like a decade where it was just, I guess he was being family man, you know, taking care of his kids. And now that his kids are older, it's like, all right, time for Dion to well, come he's back. Not, you know, it's one thing to have your kid then being one of the star quarterbacks for George Sanders and another one, Shiloh. So he has two star athletes that he's able to come. And that's where I question a team like Auburn. When you watch Auburn play, we're going to get to the, the Auburn game in a second. They bring in, they, they don't have, they don't have a quarterback. Well, if you got Dion, you got his son too. So yeah. I think that's a good, and you got Travis Hunter, who's his other great player. So the point is that I don't know why a team like Auburn did not put Dion on knowing that his son was going to come with him. But the game was just to quickly go to the game. The first quarter was 136 to 19 in, in terms of yards. They went on a, they did a fake punt on their own 17 yard line with a 300 pound tackle who took the ball and did the fake punt. <laughs> they couldn't stop. I mean, that's what I knew. Colorado could not stop Oregon. Oregon was just going up there. At one point, it was 378 yards to 23 total yards at halftime, 22 to four on, on, uh, on, on first downs. Uh, and then, you know, that they interviewed Dan Lamming at halftime and he goes, we're not done yet. Don't turn off the TV sets. <laughs> and that just shows you how they're motivated. Now, now remember, Dan Lamming is 20, 37 years old. He was the one who built Georgia. He was the defensive coordinator of Georgia when they won the first national title. He was their top recruiter. So all these players that you see on the Philadelphia Eagles, look at Dan Lamming. So he's a great coach and he doesn't want to be disrespected by this. He's like, prime, it's great, this and that, but I want to show that I'm good. Again, everybody knows the spotlight's on you, so these Oregon players are going to play up to it. Of course. They're not, they know, it's, they're not playing at 10 o'clock night on Fox Sports 2. They're playing it on, you know, everyone in the world is watching this game. They have 15 million people watching. They're going to go out and do the best they can. Bo Nix was tremendous, um, but Shador Sanders was, had only had 159 yards. Bo Nix had three touchdowns, almost 300 yards, and the wide receiver, Tony Franklin, eight catches, 126 yards, but the yardage was like 522 to 199. Uh, Colorado, a lot of penalties, 12 penalties, 106 yards, but that was, it was the game, but it was like one of those games where you kept watching because you want to see exactly, you know, Oregon just kept scoring and scoring and scoring quickly and stopping. Colorado could not do anything just, you know, to actually get any offense until late in the game. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's 729, appears to be still tied here. Eagles and Buccaneers, about nine minutes left to go in the first quarter. One of the things that struck me here is that, you know, ESPN has been milking Deion Sanders for like a month now. It's the Deion Sanders network. Now this is going to fade away, and they got so lucky that now they can milk Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift for the next month because this is all they've talked about now for, for two days. So ESPN manages to keep the uh, the tablet. But he's going to be on going. Fox. So this Colorado USC game next Saturday is going to be at in Colorado. It's going to be on big on Fox at twelve. It's actually ten o'clock. They're playing the game in Colorado at ten o'clock in the morning. So that's it's crazy how they're doing. You're talking about doing. How about a fan? You guys say, oh, we're going to go to a college football game. We have to be there. You know, the game starts at ten. You're going to be tailgating <laughs> at three in the morning.
morning. <laughs> what about uh, your Penn State uh, Lions? Everyone built this game up to be big. I knew that the line was 14. It's a whiteout, this, that. I was like, I was terrible. I mean, Cade McNamara, their, their quarterback at Iowa, was the Michigan QB. When he was there, he beat Penn State. But it was a situation where I just thought it was there was no way that Iowa could play with Penn State. Iowa has no offense. The, in the, again, we're talking about first downs, 28-4. to four. That was the first downs. Iowa's 1-9 for third down conversion. Total yards, Penn State had 400. Iowa had 76. And all Penn State did was just run the ball, short little passes. But I liked how Drew Aller played smart, didn't make turnovers. I was the one who turned the ball over four times, not Penn State. And uh, it was like, but it's one of those tests that, you know, people said, well, they won it. They had to win it. And they look good. And in fact, it was on TV. Everyone was watching Ohio State, Notre Dame. They're not watching the Penn State game, which is on CBS. It's weird how they do the TV. It's one of the first times in like 25 years Penn State's been on CBS at home. But uh, Penn State's defense is great. Chop Robinson is going to be playing the NFL. Adidas Isaac is going to be. Curtis Jacobs will be. So it was really one of the most super impressive wins. But it's impressive because they destroyed him, but not impressive because I don't think I was any good. What about the rest of the Big Ten? Well, Illinois, how about FAU? Who was not, you know, play some of these bad teams in the Big Ten, which are terrible. Illinois barely beat FAU. Nebraska was losing to Louisiana Tech when they pulled that game out. And Indiana beat Akron, like on a field goal in overtime, 29-27. And then Northwestern Minnesota. Minnesota was up 21 in the fourth quarter and blew the game and lost Northwestern. And then Maryland destroyed Michigan State. This is one of the worst years in the Big Ten sides, the top three. And then Maryland, where two is brother, Talia, plays. I think those are the only th three teams plus one. The rest of the Big Ten. Is this is one of the worst years I've ever seen for the Big Ten. The quarterback play is terrible. The offense is terrible. and uh, But that's why it's all Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Another one of the huge games, Florida State taking on Clemson. And this one was pretty, a little maybe too close for comfort for Florida State here. I thought Clemson was going to win the game, and I thought Clemson outplayed them. It was the first time Clemson was an underdog at home since 2016 in Lamar Jackson and Louisville. Florida State had lost to Clemson seven times in a row. Clemson only had two home losses in 10 years, and uh, this is, you know, Clemson only lost to Duke, so they were the big questioning. And there's two different approaches. Florida State has 17 of their starters were transfers, where Clemson had almost no transfers. So Davis Sweeney's like, we're going to build through the program. Florida State's like, we're bringing people from everywhere else. <laughs> and then uh, Clemson took out this huge lead they were 10 nothing. They were dominating the first part of the game. And uh, then at halftime, it was 17-7 Clemson. And the story, the storyline they kept talking about was this kicker, Jonathan White's like Clemson benched their kicker because he missed a lot of field goals against Duke. So they brought in this guy, Jonathan White, who was going to work for Allied Financial in New York, was taking classes like in New York City, starting his job. And they're like, we want you to kick now. And then he goes, okay. And his boss said, that's okay. I want to come watch you play. So this like, <laughs> he hadn't been on the team or anything. And he's kicking. And he made a field goal and two extra points in the first half. But then didn't end uh, as well in the second half, but in the and then in the uh, in the second half, Clemson was up. The whole game was they came down and scored, made it 24-17, and it's like Clemson's driving again. They're ready to seal this game and win it. And Klubnik got hashed on a, on a, on a tackle uh, by Callan DeRoche from Florida State. Fumble, DeRoche picks up the ball, runs it in for a touchdown, made it 24-24. And then Clemson comes back down again, controlling the ball, ready. They should have scored a touchdown on the drive. They ended up, we're going to settle for a 20-yard field goal as, as the clock expires. They missed the field goal. That 20, so th there was no that, the beautiful story. They go into overtime, they script the overtime, but it was really just a total mess in terms of what happens. I mean, Clemson on first downs, dominated the games at 25-16. to 16. They had 430 yards. Florida State only at 311, uh, but it was one of those games where I thought Dabba Sweeney just 
terrible. First of all, you can't turn the ball over when they did. But at the end of the, of the game, not to be able, knowing that your kicker is <laughs> has kicked all year, go for the touchdown and win. You know, take the touchdown and, and win it that way. But it was a tough win. But big win. Florida State needed this win. This was big for Florida State because now this sets them up for the cultural playoff if they can keep running through the ACC. Yeah, this was going to be one of the toughest games they're going to play this year. So from here, if they can keep it going, might see a Florida school in there. Miami and Temple, not a, not a massive uh, opponent for Miami, but uh, hey, you got to beat the teams on your schedule. That's right. Now, my, now you know Miami now looks like they're playing great. Now they're going against UNC, then Clemson and Florida State. But the fact is that we've seen in the past where Miami stubbed their toes in some of these early games, had some struggle, lose some weird games. But Tyler Van Dyke's playing great. He's another one of these quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, 220 yards, three touchdowns that people could be talking about. Uh, what about the other ACC games? North Carolina, uh, Brock May looks great. You know, 41 hit points against Pittsburgh. And then some of these other teams like Marshall. Marshall beat Virginia Tech. And this is one thing we're talking about, the portal. I was looking at the stats of the game. Marshall has almost most of their team are, are Power 5 transfers. So when Marshall's playing Virginia Tech, their players are not looking like saying, we're non-Power 5 playing in Power 5. They're like, we played on these teams. They have players from Florida State, Florida, Miami on that team. So that's why it doesn't look like that much of an impressive. And Syracuse is 4-0 with a big win over Army going to the SEC to start the season I a lot of people LSU was like that sneaky maybe national champion bid you know like the wise guy money was heading in their direction didn't really show up very well against Arkansas you still got a win, but if this isn't, they what were they favored be doing. by. They didn't show well because it was the game of the day. Really, I could not believe how well they played. And really, KJ Jefferson for Arkansas and Jalen Daniels for LSU might be, unfortunately, the two best quarterbacks in the SEC, and they'd probably be the you know like the worst two in the Pac-12. But um, it, LSU was favored by 18 again, which I thought was the line was ridiculous. I would I bet Arkansas on this game, but it was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, LSU kicked a field goal at the end of the game to win the game. But it was one of the most. It was really I thought the game of the day. I had it going on one of my TVs sets. But LSU got through there, you know, undefeated and win the game. But I, they was again, it was a poor game on their being favored by 18 and playing poorly and they not being able to stop Arkansas at all. But we'll see what happens. It was Jalen Daniels. I mean, I watched them. They made it. They somehow snuck into the championship game. They can raise their level, their game. But uh, it, it was one of those weird type games. So the last time I was projecting Alabama to lose a regular season game was against Tennessee last year. Ended up being a great game. Tennessee did get the win. I thought Ole Miss was going to be able to beat Alabama on Saturday. Didn't quite happen, but the score wouldn't dictate. This game was a little closer than it seems. Yeah, 24-10, but it was like one of those things where Mississippi State took that lead. They scored a touchdown. We were up 7-3. Bama went back to Jalen Milrow, a quarterback. They got rid of their Notre Dame transfer, Ty, Tyler Buckner and Ty whatever. Quick experiment Stimson, with them. Ty Simpson, <laughs> right. It doesn't work. I mean, it's like you can see where the quarterbacks they've had now have. And I thought i got to give Nick Saban a phenomenal pat on the back. I thought this game, he really out He coached. I thought Mississippi was a better team. They had seemed to be like better. And it's like I, I, Lane Kiffin, one of his assistants, I don't think coached a great game. They had Jackson Dart. He, so this game, Mississippi had, I thought, better players and the much better quarterback in Jackson Dart, who was a star at USC, who left USC when Cal Williams went there, another one of those transfers. But then Bama made it, you know, to, you know, they were able then to go. There was actually one point in the game where Bama ran a play and the referees missed a down. Where they actually made it, it was like it was supposed to be um, third down. It was really fourth. Down. It was supposed to be third down. It was fourth down, and they were like trying to argue it. It was too late, and it was one of those rare times where you actually it didn't cost them the whole thing. But 
it was like, boy, Bama was able to drive down there using Milrow, just winning ugly and winning that game. But I thought a bad loss for Mississippi. Mississippi was away. This was, I think, a statement game for them, and they weren't able to do it at all. What about uh, Auburn and Texas A&M? Auburn's terrible. This is where I keep bringing them back. <laughs> Texas A&M, I think, is awful, too. But Auburn just has no offense whatsoever. And uh, Georgia plays Auburn this week, and everyone's making that this to be a big game. And Georgia's favored by, like, 20-some points. But Auburn has no QB. They played three different quarter, uh, quarterbacks. And uh, A&M, you know, they just beat them. But, I, again, this is where Deion Sanders was supposed to be going. I think they would have been a big, you know, been a big boost to the program to have Shador Sanders there. But the Auburn didn't choose him. They choose Hugh Freeze, and they just didn't look good. Um, any other games here in the SEC? Florida, you know, wow. I mean, it's like you have the big win they had the previous week against Tennessee, and then they beat Charlotte 22-7 to when you're favored by 30. Uh, Kentucky's 4-0, Missouri's 4-0, so they had big wins. Uh, so those are two teams, Kentucky, Missouri, and the SEC East. But really, the SEC is down. It's going to be Georgia and nobody else. Like, if Georgia's – this could be the year if Georgia somehow stubs its toes, there might not be – there not, might not be an SEC team getting into the college football Yeah, this might be the, the weakest SEC of, of 15 years. It's been a long time since you could look around and say, these teams aren't that good. The Big 12 is weak. The Big 10 is weak. The SEC is weak. It's the Pac-12, which is disappearing as a conference. Pac-2. They have Pac-2, yep. which was strong, <laughs> and that's what's so amazing. USC was taken on Arizona State, and you alluded to it earlier. Maybe they're already looking two weeks ahead to Colorado. They were in trouble. You know, Arizona State was a 35-point underdog and had the ball in the whole fourth quarter with the chance to win. USC was a mess. I mean, Cal Williams, his stats were great. 322 yards, three touchdowns, but and he ran for two, so he kept for five touchdowns, but there was fumbles and this. They didn't look great. And ha- But Arizona State, how about another transfer? We keep talking about these transfer quarterbacks. Drew Pine was a Notre Dame quarterback who then played a great game for Arizona State. So you're getting these quarterbacks that, like, you know, I'm there somewhere. Some, they bring someone else in. I'm going to go transfer. And I think all these schools are looking for which fifth and sixth year player am I going to bring in. But no, Arizona State played well in that game. Uh, and then the game I just want to mention is Washington over Colorado. Michael Penix Jr., 304 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Uh, he was just, he's now on the year, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions, 1,600 yards in four games, 75% completion percentage. Washington, do not sleep on them. They are amazing on offense. Any other uh, Pac-12 games you want to mention? Oregon State, Washington State, both teams are undefeated. One of my friends was texting me, why are you watching that game? I was watching the game because Cameron Ward for Washington State, he played two years at Incarnate Ward, and he was like, had one year, it was 47 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, 47 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. This year, he has 13 touchdowns touchdowns, no interceptions, 1,400 yards. He's another player that could be drafted. He was amazing. Oregon State is really good with Washington State. I mean, Oregon, Washington State is a team that could upset anybody else in the Pac-12, and UCLA played Utah. Now, Utah doesn't have their star quarterback, Cam Rising, because he got hurt in the Rose Bowl that I was at, but they beat UCLA. They shut him out 14-7, but Cam Rising's coming back, and Utah might have the best defense in the country, so there you have Utah, USC, Washington, Washington State, and uh, it's just in, in Colorado, it's just so many great teams Oregon. in the Pac-12 and Oregon. Yeah. So amazing. What are we watching next week? Uh, next week really is Friday night. Utah and Oregon State's going to be a game. USC, Colorado, that's the game at 12 o'clock we talked about. Some of the other games aren't so good. Florida, Kentucky, Kansas at Texas, which I think I'll be at, and Notre Dame at Duke. One of the things I like to say is bet the beast favorites that I think. Georgia over Auburn, Michigan over Nebraska, Oregon over Stanford, Washington over Arizona. They're all like 15, 20-point favorites. These teams, Auburn, Nebraska, Stanford, you know, these are name-only teams. Like, I think they're going to get totally blown out in these games. So that's where I'm like, I'm like, go heavy on these good teams that I think are, you know, rounding into form in the middle of the season, like the Georgias and the Michigans and the Oregons. It's 741. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Still knotted up, 0-0. Three minutes, 48 seconds to go in the first quarter. Philadelphia Eagles in Tampa playing the Bucks. 
let's go to the NFL. And normally we start with Monday night from last week. We'll recap or Thursday night. But we have to talk Dolphins right away because this is one of the best performances I've ever seen. And I'll tell you a story. I was at a kid's birthday party. And if you, if you do have a kid's birthday party, you have to throw. Don't do it at 1 o'clock on a Sunday, please. No. But I'm, so I'm here. At, and the only thing on is the Dolphins game with no volume. And I, I, I glance over every three or four minutes, and I think that they're showing replays. <laughs> I, I thought there was like one or two touchdowns, and they keep showing. Because every time I looked up, the Dolphins were scoring again, untouched into the end zone. And I'm like, and then I took a, like, wait, is it 56 points they have right now? What a performance by Mike McDaniel. This entire team it was just phenomenal. No Jalen Waddle, no problem. This, this team, after watching this, this team can absolutely win a Super Bowl. Well, 70 points was the most uh, since 1966. And then the big debate was should they kick the field goal to make it 73, which I don't think they should have. I think it was that's fine. It wasn't in the course. They were just scoring touchdowns. They were kicking field goals. They had 726 yards. I mean, that is just, it's unbelievable. And they had 13 drives. On the 13 drives, 10 were touchdowns, and they averaged 10 yards a play. Remember, first down, so with every play, they were averaging 10 yards a play. They had 350 yards rushing, 376 yards passing. They, they, this is the rushing. Is the uh, Mostart had three touchdowns. He had what, three touchdowns and then two. He had one touchdown receiving, three touchdowns running. At Chain, who everyone talked about from Texas A&M, who's the star running back, who was a rookie, who I idiotically did not draft in my fantasy, which I wanted to, but someone drafted him a little early. He had 18 carries for 203 yards, two touchdowns, and he had another two touchdowns. This The running game. Now, if, yeah. if, if they can run, it's it's over. Like, they're going to just do this all the time because that's the problem is that they've been relying so much on the pass, not the run. And now if they can run with Mostard and a chain and whatever else they want to do and all the play calling, McDaniel's a genius. This is unbelievable. And they are going to go undefeated and never lose to anyone. They are they are looking so good in this game. Now, the question is with Tua, there was one play. He wasn't sacked, but he went. And I'm, if the, I'm telling you, if there is, they should tell Tua, I don't care if you throw an interception. Fumble. Do not get hit because he's the entire offense. It's yeah. everything's him. He turned. He went right and turned left. And there was one of the offensive players for Denver was there, like shockingly. And he just stood there. And I'm like, he's gonna, he's gonna hurt Tua. And Tua just somehow like just threw the ball away. And that was the smartest thing. Like the only time where they actually could get on Tua the entire game. But it was it, Denver a joke. Sean Payton. They had a quote from the Colin Coward show last year where he said, I don't think Tua is going to be the quarterback next year. He's not capable. They're going to bring someone else in. It, about last year. Yeah. And so so he's, and then Sean Payton has been all running his mouth more than Dion even in terms of these other teams. Anyway, saying, you know, this team was terrible when the thing, you know, Hackett was the coach, but now I'm here and this is what's going to happen. And then their defense was awful, absolutely horrendous. And who cares about Russell Wilson and this? They just couldn't stop him. So the question in this game is how good is Miami and how bad is Denver? That's really the question. One thing that stands out to me is this is not a great offensive line on paper and they've had some injuries. This offensive line is playing really good through three weeks. This we thought this would be the weak link of this team. Doesn't look like it, and that's it's just it's like a force to be reckoned with. The defense may need some time, you know, have time to get Jalen Ramsey back. But if you're scoring forty plus points a game, you don't have to worry about that. Right. I mean, I think that was in the, the speed that they're they're operating. The fact that, but the running game to get the running game is going to open Hill up. Like you're going to say, well, the first play of the game, Terry Kill reminds me of the day when Charles Woodson played for Michigan against Penn State, and everyone said he's got Heisman Trophy. Be careful, Charles Woodson. Like the first play of the game, I'm watching. I'm sitting like on the twenty. You know, 15th row and Winston just runs down the middle of the field no one's around him from Penn State it's like what were you supposed to watch it first play of the game Tyree Kill is like wide open yeah, like, like what you had three people on him like Messi like it's like if we watched the soccer game and Messi was like wide open like with the ball and no one's covering him at all yeah I told you I'm watching with no volume and 
you know, touchdown to Robbie Chosen one Anderson. I'm like, two, oh, it's not even two. Mike White is out there throwing <laughs> 60 yard touchdowns now. It was just a, a complete beatdown on, on every sense. Congratulations to Miami and Dolphins fans. The Giants and the, and the San Francisco uh, 49ers game, a little bit of a similarity in the fact that the way the run game panned out, because San Francisco took the ball and ran it straight down the Giants' throat, and sometimes on third and 15. Didn't matter. They got every first down, and they just they had pretty much imposed their will on the Giants. The score was 30-12, to 12, but if you look at the stats, it was like 441 for San Francisco to 150 for the Giants. The time of possession was 40-20. to 20. Brock Purdy was tremendous. McCaffrey was tremendous. And while we want to, while I'm bringing how we're sort of putting these games, Miami looks phenomenal. They're elite. San Francisco looks elite. Like, these these teams are playing. They're like, let's, you know, put, you know, not besides we're going to talk about the Eagles next, but really, these two teams, and if you're putting, like, grading, and you know, ranking or whatever, oh, my gosh, tremendous performances from both those teams. At San Francisco every week, and we saw what they did still as the first week. They're just destroying everybody. Uh, speaking of those Eagles, 3 nothing right now. Three minutes to go in the first. Eagles on top of the Buccaneers. I don't know if you knew this, Ira, but a football game broke out at some point in Kansas City. But it was Taylor Swift mania, because that's all you saw anywhere on social media or TV. I guess she's dating Travis Kelsey, but that's all the cameras no, want to focus just, on. No, she was invited to the game, and it was like, here, I, this is what I want to show you what I do for a living. <laughs> and she says, what do you do? And she goes, I would like, you know, people invite, you know, like, if whatever. You want to invite someone in here, Mike, you know, like you invite your wife to come in to watch you play. It's like, you're just inviting them, showing what they're doing. There was more security and people lined up to see Taylor Swift than I've ever seen for an athlete. The sporting <laughs> event. It was just insane. I was shocked that CBS switched the game. Even though the game was like 40 to nothing, they kept, <laughs> like, they switched to the Dallas game. And I'm like, no, stay on the Taylor Swift and the cheese. <laughs> But that is great. You know, if the Chiefs need any more whatever yeah. noise going around them, let's have Taylor Swift involved in this. And that was really that makes it great. And she's there within the Kelsey box with the with, the, his, with mom the, his mom and, stuff. Yeah. and everything. And they interviewed Patrick Mahomes before the game. But of course, the Bears they didn't show up for. It. I mean, I think Taylor yeah. would have been. I mean, that that game was crazy. And the Chicago Bears talk about a team that is just in total disarray. They had a hundred thousand dollars equipment stolen. Their defensive coordinator was being investigated by the FBI. Um, who knows what? going on I mean it's a total mess with that and fields makes a comment he goes he goes oh i think i'm being too robotic because the coaches are telling me what to do and then people say we well, should really say that so he comes back and says i will never say that i'm being too robotic I mean, you just said it go, <laughs> play the whole interview so the people just played everything he said it which he totally said but it is it is it is, it is totally falling apart i mean two teams and it's a so funny chicago plays denver next week which yeah. is just great like one of them has it's gonna be a tie that has to be there's a game that i've done a tie on that but i couldn't believe the line was kc minus 12 and a half anyone who's watching Chicago play knows that they were going to get totally blown out of the game. It was 34 nothing at the halftime. And I was amazed that they even brought Patrick Mahomes in. There was this one play. And he's tough because one of the Bears rolled up on his ankle and he just like, you know, it's like, oh my God, he's hurt. But then he just walks it right off. He is a tough guy. A lot of people were also saying, why was Justin Fields brought back out? At a certain point, he's getting crushed. Like, just Give him the rest of the week off. Yeah, 11 for 22, 99 yards, th one interception, three sacks. Just as, He's not running the ball. And it's, again, we had talked about this before. This is a team, the Bears and the Broncos, who people were had high expectations for. This Eight year. wins, this team supposed yes. to have. So. They look if they get two at this point. <laughs> Shock of the week has to be, and also suicide pool destroyer. A lot of people get knocked out. Dallas losing to Arizona. And we talked before we went on, on the air. These Eagles defensive coordinators that have left you know, left Philadelphia. Coordinators, coordinators. Because Gannon is defensive, and Sykin for Indianapolis was the but offensive they, they, These guys both left and are seeing success now. Amazing. It, 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 these were teams that were down, and we'll talk more about the Colts in a minute, but 
Arizona, everyone thought this team was tanking for Caleb Williams. The players didn't get that memo because these guys play hard every week. Jonathan Gannon, oh my gosh. I mean, they they almost won against the Giants last week. They they but this game against Dallas. I mean, they beat Dallas. And then and then Micah Parsons made a comment. He goes, Oh, we we played down to our competition. And, and people were like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Next time you play, you know, they didn't play down. Like you maybe you could maybe they beat you. Yeah. Like they didn't beat you. I mean, Arizona was up twenty one to ten. I mean, Dak with uh, two hundred fifty yards had one interception, two sacks, but really it was one of those things where they just really they were the penalties hurt them, the thirteen penalties for hundred and seven yards, but Arizona and Josh Dobbs is their quarterback. Josh Dobbs was third string on the Steelers, third string on the Steelers. Then he went to Tennessee. I mean, the fact that he's was 0-4 as a starter and they come and they beat the Cowboys. And again, the Cowboys, they just ride in high, like we're great, we're fantastic. We beat the Giants, we beat the Jets, we're the Kings in New York, and then they come and play a game like this, bad loss. And Dak Prescott intentionally throwing interceptions in the in the end zone to play down to the competition. Like, come on. Buffalo and Washington. I really thought Washington was putting something together here. Eric Bieniemy, I do think is good. I'm not writing this offense off yet. I'm not writing Bieniemy or Sam Howell off yet. But they didn't look good against Buffalo. I think there's better days coming up for Washington, though. I don't, again, I thought Washington. I, I love Sam Howe. I think Howe was one of those quarterbacks that sort of came back for his one of his years, his senior year, and didn't play well. But I thought would have been if he came out earlier would have been a top ten. It's just where you come out in your draft. I like Washington a lot. I thought they played great, and but this game. So this leads you to believe what was Buffalo doing that in that Aaron Rodgers game I was at? Like, was it a mess? Like, well, how they play so poorly? Because yeah. since then they're 75. They've been 75 to 13 points. Like they're blowing everybody else out. Against the Raiders, they won 38 to 10, and Josh Allen looks like he's the MVP of the league, like we were talked about. So I think maybe that game woke them up. Maybe there was something with Aaron Rodgers playing in the game or whatever. But boy, this is really setting up for. I mean, we cannot write a script that Miami goes up to Buffalo next week because that's the game of the week, and that's what we're going to see is Buffalo, how good Buffalo is, and how good Miami is, and and they're going to play in six days. Yeah, we're going to find out. So if it wasn't for the Jets and Zach Wilson, I think there'd be a lot more focus on the Bears and and Justin Fields. But everybody can turn the TV on and just see Zach Wilson's not made for a starter. He may not be made for a backup at this point. But New England let them stay relatively close to this game. Still got the win, though, 15 to 10. One of the worst games I've ever seen. You know, that was on the TV next. I'm, I'm at a bar watching the, the Chargers and the Vikings, and I had everything on, but it was the one next to it, so I could see most of it. And it was the Patriots are terrible. They're awful. They, they are so bad. Zach Wilson is so bad. Like, when you watch the college, like, he— I know he's a strong arm, but it doesn't look like he's a strong arm. It looks like he's mobile. He doesn't run well. He doesn't make right decisions. There's nothing about it. And at the end of the game, I mean, they were destroying them the entire game with five minutes left. Jets had the ball, actually, a chance with the win. And then and uh, and uh, Wilson gets a safety. You know, it was like that was pathetic. Made it 15 to 10. Then New England gets the ball back. Now, they've been, you know, just win the game. It's over. There's a couple minutes left in the game. They have to go three and out. They punt. Then Jets get the ball on their own 45 with a minute to go. They go and they punt the ball. They can't even go out. And they they go on fourth down again. New England gets the ball. And the Jets had a chance at the end of the game throwing Wilson through this, you know, Hail Mary in the end zone. It would almost, you know, it would be crazy if they would have won the game. But if the Jets had just 12 first downs. They were two for 14 on third down conversions. They only had 170 yards for the game. Uh, and Zach Wilson had three sacks, just awful all over. And they couldn't run the ball. I mean, everyone talks about Brees Hall, the running back, 12 carries, 18 yards. Uh, Dalvin Cook, eight carries, 18 yards. Useless, just, both of them. Just yeah. a mess. I mean, Robert Sala, you have to question everything about this. I mean, this Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers, you know, they, they need air. They should probably tell Aaron Rodgers to come back with the torn Achilles or do something because this is a complete mess. But they have, they cannot. Zach Wilson is not an NFL quarterback. He's not an NFL quarterback now. And uh, and and Mac Jones, 
boy, New England, they're bad too. Like, I'm like, I'm a Steeler fan. I'm like, wow. I mean, the AFC is terrible. We thought it was going to be so good. And you have all these teams that are just awful teams. Maybe the Steelers could sneak in the playoffs. I don't know how. But the, the teams are just, they're, they're, the teams we thought were much better are not good at all. Yeah, that's my takeaway too, is that we thought it was like basically just the Eagles and the 49ers and then the other you know, eight of the top 10 teams were AFC. I don't really think that's the case anymore. Um, Houston and Jacksonville, me and you have been on record for over a year now saying we wanted C.J. Stroud in last year's draft coming up. Bryce Young obviously went number one. C.J. Stroud now, first three games, 906 total yards. That's the third player in history to eclipse 900 yards in three games. Cam Newton, Justin Herbert. Now him, this kid looks good. He looks more than good. He looks poised. He looks like he belongs in the NFL. And Jacksonville now, this is a team that had, you know, AFC championship game aspirations. They got crushed by Houston. Yeah, this was not a close. I mean, they're fair by eight. And this is Trevor Lawrence. Now they're one and two. They look terrible. This is a problem. I'm, I'm telling you, their first possessions, I'm watching this, and I, I'm in shock as I'm watching it. They they missed a field goal. They got a field goal blocked. They had then punted the ball twice and fumbled the ball. That was the first half. That's what Jacksonville <laughs> did. And this is Trevor Lawrence. And this is, you got Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. And you got Trevor, Travis MTN and Tank Biz, you know, All these weapons. What is going on on offense? And Doug Peterson's supposed to be this great offensive mind. I, I, the step back at Jacksonville, this game, is terrible, awful, just a just an embarrassment. And, and I look at Trevor Lawrence and I'm like, what is going on? Like, you know, it's getting late early. How that comment is like, get ready for the season because I thought Jacksonville was going to be clearly a playoff team and they looked horrendous losing to Houston in that game. We only have about uh, six minutes to go here, Iris. Iron Sports, True All These Channel. So is the battle of the 0-2 teams that both think they should be, you know, in the Super Bowl, in the, in the championship games, the Chargers and the Vikings. And this was another game where I kind of... Um, Stretching my head this entire game, like who's like neither team looks good really. Well, what's what's happening here? Neither team looks good, but Justin Herbert's amazing, and I thought Kirk Cousins is good too. I think they have quarterbacks that are amazing. Herbert was forty for forty-seven for four hundred yards, three touchdowns. It seems they like get throw, but his coach he cannot get. Brandon Staley is the worst coach I've ever seen. He's terrible. But he did. Then one call he made I agree with. It's at the end of the game they had a chance. They were holding the lead, and they went on their own twenty-five yard line for like fourth and a one, where they would have won the game if they would have made it. But instead of just having Herbert just roll out and complete a pass which he completed 40 out of 47 he's unbelievable or have him run he's 6'5 240 fall pounds forward. fall forward they run Josh Kelly who's on my fantasy team but who I've been watching he's all terrible. day doing nothing <laughs> it was the worst play call I've ever seen yeah. I love the play call the fact is just I say this all the time win it on offense forget about defense and then the Vikings they come down twice and they don't blew they blew the game they had the chance to win this game both both teams have great offenses it was an exciting game to watch but Brandon Staley is absolutely terrible he's one of the worst coaches and in uh, but I, Herbert is amazing. Like, he is so good. His He was completing passes. They lose Mike Williams for the year. Their star wide receiver. Keenan Allen had 18 catches for 202 yards. Just a, It was an exciting game to watch. If Quinton Johnston happens to be available in your fantasy leagues, throw a waiver wire That's option out for him. For Diego, yeah, he was the, the third string. He'll yeah. be the second string now. What do you think about this trade? Kirk Cousins to the Jets for Zach Wilson, Brees Hall, and a second-round pick. Something. There has to be. I mean, they want Kirk Cousins. Minnesota's 0-3 now, and, and they don't want Cousins next year. So, I like I like Kirk Cousins. I think he's a really good player, and I think he's a good quarterback. But now I have Justin Jefferson on my fantasy team, so I don't want that. But, you know, go ahead. <laughs> Saints were up 17 to nothing. Derek Carr goes to the hospital. Saints lose 18-17. Jordan Love. This was a statement game. People really like Jordan Love in, in Green Bay, and this is one of those type of games where it was on, and I'm like, you know, they were turning all the TVs. You know when games are valued when you're at a place there's 100 TVs, and suddenly it starts to be going down, so there's like maybe five, and I'm like straining my neck to try to see this game. <laughs> but you saw what Jordan Love was able to do, come back in the fourth quarter, 
quarter. Jameis Winston was terrible. People think Jameis Winston's answer was not. Um, came back and scored a touchdown, made it 18-17. But the Saints did have a shot at the end of the game, 46-yard field goal to win. People forget and missed it. I thought that game was over. They were going to win. But I got to give Love credit. Coming back, good win for them. We mentioned uh, Shane Steichen earlier. Now was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles, now head coach of the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Nobody gave them a shot to beat Baltimore. Here they are upsetting the apple cart. Baltimore wants to play games like this. They're going to lose some games like this. Terrible. They're feared by eight over in the Indy didn't start. They start Gardner Minshew, not Anthony Richardson. And it was one of those weird games where Baltimore had a chance at the end. 61-yard field goal by Justin Tucker. I thought it was right dead on. It just missed by like an inch, and he never misses anything. But they play these close games. It's Messi, Jackson, and Lamar Jackson. It's like the old. And, and then Indianapolis pulls this big upset. We were thinking Indianapolis is ready to mail it in. They play. You know, the teams that we thought were going to mail it in are not mailing it in. Teams like Jacksonville and Chicago and Denver, they're mailing it. And then you have teams like Tennessee who strive to win the AFC South and they're trying. They're just not very good. It, they, watching this team is extremely frustrating. I it's I think Deshaun Watson needed something. He needed some like B twelve shot. The B twelve shot was Tennessee because he looked so poor against the Steelers and we had that Monday night game when we left with Nick Chubb and going down with an injury. But he had his best game as a Brown. He had three hundred yards, two touchdowns, uh, and it was just one of those big wins. Cleveland looked great. I mean, and Cleveland's defense. We're talking about one of the best defense in the league. Their defense because they've been shutting down everybody. So I really like Cleveland's defense. They look like the real deal. If they could get Deshaun Watson playing, the Steelers are in trouble. That I'm to tell you, between the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Browns, it, it's it's a tough division. And Ravens. Well, we'll see what happens with the Bengals tonight. Joe Burrow has said he is going to attempt to play. Um, any other games you want to talk about here before we get to Monday Just the night? Steelers over Raiders, 23-18. Nice it was a good win. And again, the defense was really for real. Three interceptions and four sacks. Um, I love the Steelers' defense. Wow, it's amazing. And Pickett just does enough to get by. But the play calling, Matt Canada, actually smart. They did some rollouts, got some first downs. They can't get the running game going. But, boy, the Steelers are trying to win. Some of these teams are trying to win on defense. And the Browns and the Steelers, if they play again. But it's uh, it was a good win for them. The Raiders have a lot of problems. It's 3 nothing right now. Still 13 minutes to go in the second quarter quarter Philadelphia on top of Tampa I like Tampa in the five points here even though you know down three but before this game started I think I would have taken that um, Philadelphia, look, this is a big game. This is great. Tampa, like Baker Mayfield playing great. I like that a lot. And then the Rams played Cincinnati coming up. I love the Rams this year. I think people are sli- I, sleeping. I think the on Rams, the Rams. Doing this game. Yeah. They are. They are. They are playing great. Stafford, like they have really come back. This, I'm Sean McVay is doing a phenomenal job, and I love this team a lot. And I think the Rams are going to beat Cincinnati. What's up next uh, next week? Um, the big games I would say would be uh, Chiefs at Jets. <laughs> How about that? That's going to be one of the games on Sunday night. Thursday night Lions and Packers, and of course the big game of the big games is my. Miami at Buffalo. It's going to be a huge one. Anything we want to talk about here as the Ryder Cup gets started a little bit later in the week? Well, it's it's going to be hard to watch. You have to get up at 3 in the morning to watch. It's like 3 to 12 in Italy, so it's going to be really early to watch. I'm going to pick America. I know this sounds crazy, but I think that they have, they've lost so many times when they've been, it's the odds are even, but I like the fact that I'm starting to like, you know, that, that this is a chance that they, they are going to, the players, if you look at Brooks and, and, and JT and Fowler and Colin Marcao, they have winning records in this. And I, I think some of the European players, I looked at Hovland, he's 0-3 and 2. Fitzpatrick is 0-5 in these records of Ryder Rory's only 12 and 12. Rom's only 4 and 3. I'm telling you, they don't have Sergio Garcia. They don't have some of these old timers. I like America to upset. I, it's not an upset. They're even. But I, I'm starting to think this is the one American team that looks at this and says, look, we we got to win this because we're not going to overlook it. I mean, the, the European team has well, some of their players. What is that? Ludwig Adverg and Nikolai Hogard, who we've never heard mm-hmm. before. But they know that those guys can probably win. So I think they're going to try. Uh, baseball, we're in the final week here before the playoffs. And 
not everything's decided. There's a lot of turmoil, especially in the uh, in the AL and NL wildcard race. Well, I think it's really the turmoil is is going to be Toronto looks like they're in with two games. It's going to be between Houston or Seattle. And there's a chance that Houston, who we thought was going to win the division, they end up losing to Kansas City and Oakland. You're staying up till 2 in the morning watching these games. And Houston <laughs> is losing. And what that's crazy. It's just been kind of baffling. They, they go through these funks with the hitting. The pitching hasn't been good recently. They've given Justin Verlander time off when they don't have a playoff spot locked up. Questionable moves to me. And the Braves and the Dodgers are one, two seeds in the, in the, in the National League. Milwaukee's the three seed. And then Philly's going to be as a wild card. But then the other wild cards are totally up for grabs. And Miami is just hanging in there. They're at Mets and Pittsburgh. I, it's hard to say, oh, you're at the Mets and the Pittsburgh, two terrible teams, because you don't know what's going to happen in those yeah. games. But they're not drawing. I saw an article where they're still not drawing a lot at uh, Lone Depot Park, as they call it. They've been getting like 15th. There's no pennant fever for the Marlins. There's not. They do much better on the weekends, of course. But yeah, during the weeks, it's a tough draw. They've had plenty of opportunities down the stretch where they could you know, sweep this team and just put yourself ahead with talking about playing bad teams, and they don't do it, or they lose two, two out of three. Marlins have kind of held their own destiny here and haven't been able to close it out, but I'm obviously rooting for them to make it. It sounds like when we talked about the Panthers, when they just got by into the playoffs, yeah. and then they look at the Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> so it's like when the Marlins are playing the World Series in three, four weeks, we're like, remember we talked about they have no shot at all? Uh, what about a quick Formula One? Um, Verstappen won again, and the greatest thing about this race was that his teammate, Sergio Perez, is definitely going to get I could guarantee he'll be fired because Verstappen has the best car. He's rolling around. Perez caused two accidents, then got two more penalties and everything. And you could just tell, like, it's like, why are you not running as well as we are? Verstappen is going to clinch next week in uh, Singapore, He or uh, Qatar. He wins that, and he'll clinch the title with five races to go. But Verstappen, is he had lost the previous week but came back. Norris, the two McLaren cars, finished second and third. And Ira, I'm kind of excited. You have big tentative plans for this weekend. Looks like I might go to Houston, so I would go to Austin for the first time and see Kansas Jayhawks at the, at the Texas Longhorns. I've never been to that stadium. That's a historic stadium. Good to see that. And then the Steelers play the Texans on Sunday, so I think that works out perfectly for that. Yeah, and you've been to NRG Field, but just not for football. <laughs> I was there for the Final Four, not for the football, but I know where to stay in Houston. I sort of know where to go, so I think this will be good. I'll fly into Houston and then drive to Austin. It's only a three-hour drive and then drive back, but no, I'm excited for this weekend to see some college football. We are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike, let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.